Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, your boy on social media at MMALOTN, and the Fight Archive Architect. And if you are one of those people that like to go out there, predict your own fights, break down your own fights, and analyze your own fights, make sure you leave no stone unturned by utilizing the resource, which is the MMA Fight Archive. We have direct links to past fights for all the upcoming competitors for the promotions under the UFC or LFA, Bellator, PFL. This week alone, we got UAE Warriors as well as Fury Challenger Series. Next week, we got LFA, Invicta, and Cage Warriors. Over 2,500 fighter profiles are on there right now. Check it out using the link in the description below for a seven-day free trial to check it out for yourself. Before you even have to spend your own money, you can check it out and see how uh, the, the service works and how it can be beneficial and making your life even that much easier ensuring that you don't have to do any of your scouring of the web looking for these links we got it all on this one page for you check it out as you can see from the graphics that you'll be shown during this read make sure you guys check it out link in the description below seven day free trial take full advantage why not it's free all right we are going to be going over UFC 294 on this episode, which is a rematch or a headlined by a rematch between uh, a super fight that took place earlier this year between Islam Mahachev for the lightweight title going up against featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky. Obviously, this fight was put together on short notice after Charles Oliveira suffered an unfortunate cut in the last round of training before he was supposed to head out to the UAE. Uh, luckily for us fans and luckily for myself, this is a fight that I'm way more excited for, especially considering that we just got Oliveira versus Makachev pretty much a year ago. Uh, I know we got Volkanovski in Islam earlier this year, but I felt like that was a much closer fight and it's going to be way more competitive than the Oliveira fight that we would have gotten. Uh, also, co-main event, uh, big replacement there as well as Hamzat Shmaev was originally scheduled to fight Paulo Costa. Instead, now steps former welterweight champion Kamar Usman. I'm a little bit skeptical about him jumping in on short notice, but based on his IG and based on recent interviews, he's been sa staying active enough that he can go out there and probably give us some of his best work, and especially against a guy in Hamzat Shmaev, who we're still trying to see tested, a guy that we're still trying to see face adversity and still pick up a victory. He did it against Gilbert Burns, but now he's taking a step up in competition against Kamaru Usman. Let's see if he can get it done. If you guys remember, last year I did a live birthday party stream for this card, uh, which it seems to be a staple now for the UFC. The second last weekend or the last weekend of October is a UAE card, a, a Dubai card, and it's always a pay-per-view more often than not headline by Islam Mahachev. So I'm more than happy that we get an afternoon card here. I believe the first fight kicks off at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. in terms of prelims. And then the main card starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time as well. So don't get, caught nap don't get caught napping there. But I got the best gift from the UFC in terms of getting Volkanovski plugged in here. Rather than, you know, I'd rather see Volkanovski than Gamrot get this shot. Um, I believe it's a more intriguing main event and co-main event. So it should be an exciting card regardless. All right. Uh, before we get into the breakdowns, obviously, I'd love to go over the, uh, the lock of the night and dog of the night prediction of the last card uh, and just see how we did. So 
we go 2-0 last week in terms of the lock of the night predictions. Christian Rodriguez comes through, even though he ended up missing weight. And then Cage Warriors, our uh, lock of the night prediction, Paul Hughes, came through with relative ease. So that extends our lock of the night prediction record now to 89-29 and 29 on the year for a 75% hit rate. Make sure you guys check out the top three dog of the night or lock of the night candidate video that I dropped tomorrow. No, no more contender series. So we're back to one video per day throughout the week so I can keep up with this content schedule. Um, make sure you guys check out that video if you want to see the exact numbers in terms of units profited, which we are in the profit, ROI, all of that stuff. I do that in that video. Dog of the night. We go one and one last week as Adrian Yanez gets his leg chopped off by Jonathan Martinez. Uh, I expected a little bit more defense there from Yanez, but uh, it is what it is. He ends up taking the L. Uh, Dog of the night for the Cage Warriors does come through as we had the under for the Ryan Shelley fight. He gets choked out in the second round, uh, but that under two and a half was plus 150. So I was very happy to hit on that. That now brings our Dog of the night record to 49 and 69 for a 42% hit rate. Again, wait for Wednesday for the top three Dog of the Night candidates video to come out to find out the exact numbers behind our Dog of the Night campaign for 2023. Reminder, there is no UFC event next week, which means that there is only LFA and Cage Warriors, which I do do breakdowns for, but I'm only going to be doing them on the Patreon page, the Lock of the Night Patreon page. Check the link in the description below for that if you want to get action in for next week. Again, no UFC, so we'll be keeping our focus on that. And then we'll be back, I believe, November 4th for the UFC Sao Paulo breakdown. So no, no more lock cast, at least for next week. We'll be back the following week. And lastly, a quick plug for Godzilla Wins, uh, a platform that has been given to me in terms of dropping written breakdowns for you guys still on a weekly basis. Wednesdays, we drop the main event breakdown. Thursdays, we drop the three best money line spots for you guys. So if you want to check those out, I'll have those updated in the, de in the description below. Just click on over there, show those guys some love. They do a lot of great content on the NFL as well, which we're in the thick of right now, and not to mention all the other great sports that are about to kick up. NHL about to start up, and, uh, NBA about to start off as well godzilla wins has you covered for all the picks predictions and bets make sure you guys check those guys out all right we got i believe 13 fights 12 or 13 fights for this card so let's not waste any more time let's get right down to it first fight of the night is a highly anticipated ufc debut for shara bullet mago Madoff as he goes up against bruno silva now i heard a lot of mixed reviews about mago Madoff when people were studying him and personally speaking I wasn't that, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, as um, harsh on him as most people were. I was kind of impressed. You know, he has a 12-0, and 0 or sorry, 11-0 and 0 record. He has a bunch of modified rules in MMA, and he, uh, I believe if you tally those up, that's up to 17-0. and 0. Uh, The main modify in those uh, those fights was, or modification in those fights, was the fact that there were three-minute rounds compared to the regular five-minute rounds. But he still went out there and did the damn three thing. Uh, he's finished pretty much or 10 of his 11 fights, only gone to a decision once, but he pretty much showcases the same game every time out. This guy is a striker. You know, Magomedov, don't let that fool you. The guy likes to go out there and strike. He utilizes a very um, mobile uh, striking game in terms of staying on his uh, bicycle, uh, moving a lot, utilizing his fast reflexes to touch up his opponents from distance, but staying consistent with the kicking game. He loves to throw kicks, loves to snap it to that thigh and stay on that barrage of kicks uh, and then moving out of the way in terms of his opponents trying to counter him. They're unable to catch him really cleanly. Uh, usually when you see him punching, it's mainly 
just a fast jab down the middle, really touching up his opponents, not with a whole lot of power, although I've seen him drop and almost flatline a dude with a jab in the past, but it's more so just to maintain that distance, uh, put something in his opponent's face, and then eventually get back out into distance where he can start using his kicking game. In terms of his grappling, I've never really seen him go for a takedown. I see him get sucked into a takedown where he ends up on top position, lands a couple of strikes, and then he just works back to his feet because he doesn't really care in terms of utilizing that ground position, even if it's a dominant position. He wants to go out there and hit you with shots and try to put your lights out. Um, so I'm, I was kind of impressed from what I saw. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. His opponent this weekend, Bruno Silva, is no stranger to going out there and fighting Russian prospects. Before coming to the UFC, he had a great run that he had with the M1 Challenge promotion where he was going out there stuffing takedowns and then knocking these guys out later. Uh, even uh, very highly... Uh, regarded fighters such as Alexander Shlomenko. Uh, Bruno Silva has been having a roller coaster run in the UFC thus far. I believe he's one in three over his last four fights, uh, having a very flat performance against Bruno Silva. Uh, he came back, knocked out Brad Tavares. Um, early stoppage, but still got the finish there. Good for him. Uh, and then last time around, uh, he stuffed the two takedowns that Brendan Allen tried throwing at him, but he was able to keep the fight upright until Brendan Allen landed a big shot that dropped Bruno Silva, and then Silva had no, uh, you know, uh, had had no say in the fact that this fight was now taking place on the mat where Brendan Allen clearly had an advantage and Allen was able to get the submission and get him to tap. Normally, Bruno Silva likes to utilize his power punching style, especially in the pocket, looking to knock his opponents out. That's his style. He's a striker. Um, he tried to get his grappling on against Alex Poatan Pereira a couple years back, but he was unsuccessful in doing so. And that just showcases that this guy's a striker. He wants to go out there, try to put his paws on his opponent, and try to knock them out. In terms of how these guys match up against each other, I really thought I'd be taking an underdog shot here on Bruno Silva, but I think that the movement and the speed advantage that Magomedov is going to have here will be enough to allow him to touch up uh, Silva from distance, stay on his bicycle. Uh, roll with a lot of the shots. His durability looks pretty damn good. So I don't know if Silva will be able to land cleanly enough or even land enough to land that big power of his to put Magomedov out. And that should allow Magomedov to touch him up, uh, get this fight over one and a half rounds, which currently sits at minus 140. I think that's a damn good spot as well. But I think Magomedov ends up going out there and winning this fight by decision by just playing it safe, using the jab to keep that distance, and then using his leg kicks to just slow down Silva. Um, Silva, normally good uh, chin, although he got rocked by Brendan Allen last time around. I feel that we'll see a very safe performance here from Magomedov to go out there and get his first win with the UFC by decision. Next up, we got Victoria Dudakova going up against Jin Yu Fry. Now, Dudakova obviously made her UFC debut earlier this year, where it only took 24 seconds for her to snap the arm of Estela Nunes. Obviously, that's not the way that a fighter wants to go out there and win, especially when that injury came off of a takedown attempt that she was uh, uh, trying to implement. And obviously, she got the top position, but not quickly uh, thereafter that she realized that Estela Nunes was holding onto her arm for dear life and crying out in pain. Uh, Dudukova, 24 years old, looks very skilled. I got to say, I was very impressed with her performance on the Contender Series, and uh, I believe in 2022, uh, where she came in as a plus 200-ish underdog to Maria 
Silva, and she outgrappled her for the first two rounds and then survived that third round. It was even more impressive when you found out that Dudakova came into that matchup with a mangled knee, but she didn't want to pull out because of the opportunity that was ahead of her. And then obviously Dana White said the performance was impressive, but you have to give her a little bit more respect considering that it was with an injured knee as well. Um, She is special. She is a fighter that has a lot of skill set, especially in the wrestling realm and the grappling realm. She's very active with her jiu-jitsu with four of her seven wins coming by submission. I, I believe that's the approach that she's going to try to take here against the brown belt and BJJ in Jinyu Fry. Jinyu Fry... 0-3 over her last three fights, and it's kind of surprising that she's getting another shot here in the UFC, as usually the three-fight losing streak is a sentence to getting the pink slip inside the UFC. But it seems like the UFC is uh, giving her the leash here uh, to try to go out there and try to pull off the upset. You know, she's a plus 400, plus 450 underdog here against Dudakova. Normally, we see a low-volume striking game from Jinyu Fry, but also an aggressive wrestling game, which kind of works out sometimes. You know, she tried doing it against Elise Reed, and it looked good for about six to seven minutes until she was unable to establish that top position, allowing Elise Reed to win the second two rounds just off of damage alone and pick up that decision victory. And you're starting to see Fry slow down at 38 years old. You're seeing that her style is just not as effective as it used to be when she used to be the Invicta Atomweight champion. I'm expecting Dudakova to, obviously, she's the younger fighter here. She's going to be more explosive, more powerful. And I used to underrate her strength, physically speaking. I was pretty much proved wrong in the Maria Silva fight, especially with the bum knee. I'm expecting her to be the stronger of the two here against Jinyu Fry. And from there, she should be able to get the takedowns, should be able to stay out of the submissions of Fry, dominate her from on top, and likely win this fight later on inside the distance by opening up a submission opportunity for herself. I'm a little bit queasy laying minus 600 on a young up-and-coming fighter that hasn't really faced too much adversity, but I feel like the skill set is just, uh, you know, a completely in Dudakova's favor here. What she is good at is exactly what Jinyu Fry is good at, but she's just younger, more explosive, and stronger, and I expect Dudakova to be able to pull out this win and inside the distance, let's call it second or third round. Next up, let's move on to Nathaniel Wood going up against Mohamed Naimov in a featherweight matchup. And I'm highlighting the featherweight aspect of this fight because since Nathaniel Wood has moved up to this division, he is now 3-0. Last time he went out there and defeated Andre Feely 29-28 on the scorecards. It was a fight that was 1-1 going into that final round. And I believe Wood was very happy that he didn't have to sacrifice an extra 10 pounds the day before so that he can go out there and perform to the best of his abilities. It was a speed and volume and some opportune takedown opportunities that allowed him to get that victory over Andre Feely. And I think that's him at his best. He's a guy that uses his speed and his fight IQ to touch his opponents up from distance and just do good enough damage that it looks good enough for the judges so he can get his hand raised by decision. Exactly what he did against Charles Jourdain in the fight prior to that. This guy is extremely talented and he's still only 30 years old, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he was a highly touted prospect down at Bantamweight, but now at Featherweight, not having to kill himself to make that 135-pound weight limit, I believe we're going to see the best of Nathaniel Wood moving forward. His opponent this weekend, Mohamed Naimov, made a successful short-notice UFC debut earlier this year when he knocked out Jamie Malarkey in the second round. 
However, the first six minutes of that fight, not really going to a plan for him. We saw Malarkey rough him up in the clinch, land some takedowns, do some good work on the feet as well. But it seemed like there was this split second moment where Malarkey overextended a little bit too much in the pocket, allowing Naimov to land a big bomb to put his lights out so that he can get his hand raised. But I think Naimov is a guy that will do really good against the bottom half of the featherweight division. He doesn't seem to have what it takes to compete with the upper half of this division. He's a guy guy that has a decent wrestling game some big power in his hands but he's kind of low volume there have been plenty of moments where guys have been able to outstrike him outwork him and then outgrind him as well because his takedown defense looks pretty sketchy and this is one of those fights where i feel like nathaniel wood is the far more complete fighter here has far more relevant and legitimate experience compared to what naimov brings to the table and as long as wood can stay safe utilizing his speed his footwork to stay away from the big power of naimov i'm fully expecting wood to go out there and put on a masterclass against naimov from his striking to his takedowns to even his jujitsu i wouldn't be surprised if we see wood actually snatch up a submission but my official prediction for this matchup is going to be wood and wood by decision Next up, we got Mike Breeden going up against Anshul Jubli. We'll start off on the Breeden side, who's 0-3 in the UFC now. And similar to Jin Yufra, I expected him to get cut, but it seems like he's taken this gatekeeper spot to go out there and test an untested prospect, Anshul Jubli, and the UFC was more than happy to give him that opportunity. Back in August, we saw Terrence McKinney absolutely put a barrage of shots on Breeden, which eventually stopped that fight 85 seconds into the first round. Breeden is normally a striker, but also claims that he has some wrestling chops although i gotta say i haven't really been most the most impressed from what i've been seeing off of the tape that i've been watching of his he's been training at marathon mma which is slowly becoming a stellar uh training camp for some of these up-and-coming guys maz john's getting a big win over dan argueta a couple uh weeks ago um but Braden, you know i just don't think he's ufc level at this point in time uh, he's a guy that will be behind in terms of physical capabilities, uh, a guy that will be behind in terms of volume. And I got to see those wrestling chops before I can go out there and believe that's something that he can implement in his game. His opponent this week in Anshul Jubilee won the road to UFC earlier this year and put on some pretty good performances in both of his appearances. The first matchup, we saw him go out there and touch up his opponent over 15 minutes, utilizing volume and speed to make it look good enough for the judges for him to get his hand raised. And then in the second, fight he went out there and beat Jekka Seregi by grappling him to the mat and eventually grinding him out and winning that fight in the second round by submission I believe it was submission I could be wrong it could have been TKO regardless he dominated him on the mat on the regional scene he is a guy that clearly has a BJJ background where he initially got into MMA as he's been able to take his opponents to the mat, grind them out, and eventually find a submission getting them out of there. I gotta say, the level of competition he's been facing on the regional scene, very, very low level. But it's very assuring to see him be so successful against some of the guys he's been facing in his past couple of fights. Now it's just on him to go out there and continuously provide that type of success for us to believe whether this guy is a legit prospect or not. I don't necessarily agree with him being such a giant favorite here over breeding because I still have some question marks about him. But for the most part, I expect him to be the more active fighter against breeding here. And he should be able to complete a couple of takedowns to switch it up. But I think the majority of his success is going to come from moving laterally a lot, utilizing his volume and use, utilizing his long range weapons to touch up uh, breeding. As long as he doesn't get clipped or as long as breeding doesn't have this untapped wrestling potential that we don't know about, I'm expecting Jubilee to cruise in this matchup and win it by decision next up we got the return of abu azaitar as he goes up against cedriquez dumas 
starting off on the Zaytart side. He's been in the UFC since July of 2018 and has only competed twice. The second time we saw him was back in March 2021 where he got finished in the dying seconds of his fight against Marc-Andre Barrio, which just goes to show he kind of has a bit of a cardio issue. He's a power puncher who likes to trade in the pocket and is more often than not finishing his opponents, but we saw him go out there and outstrike Vitor Miranda in his UFC debut, although Miranda was... I believe closer to 40 at that point in time, if I'm not mistaken. Zaitar has pulled out of a lot of fights, I'm assuming due to injuries and inability to stay healthy enough to actually compete. And I just don't know if he has what it takes to actually um, take it to the next level uh, in the UFC. He's getting up there in age as well. I'd say his brother Otman is probably going to be more successful in the UFC than he is. But he's a guy that just leaves a lot to be desired kind of low volume has some big power relies on it a little bit too much and if he's unable to get you out of there the fight gets a little bit closer than it should be and he really starts to drop off in terms of his efficiency late in fights his opponent dumas is now one in one in the ufc after losing his ufc debut against josh fremd where he got uh, choked out out i believe in the second round of that matchup and then last time around, uh, going out there and defeating Cody Brundage in a fight where it seemed like Brundage was just laying up the the, the win for Dumas. They're just alley-ooping it to him and letting Dumas slam dunk that uh, that thing. Uh, I wanted to say a curse word there for some reason, but I'm like, hey, it's not appropriate. It's, it's no need to. Uh, but Dumas is a guy that normally looks to take fights to the ground and dominate his opponents there. Cody Brundage was pulling guard, pulling guillotine, and just wasn't even close on half of the attempts that he was trying, allowing Dumas to establish that top position, grind him out, and utilize some good work from on top, where he was able to get the decision victory. He has a decent striking game, which mainly revolves around kicks, but it seems to be something that he uses to stay busy enough to eventually fill that gap of him getting that takedown and then doing damage from on top of his opponent. I lean Dumas in this fight, but it's hard to take him at chalk, especially considering the big question marks we still have about his game. But how can you be more confident on the Zaytar side, even at plus money, considering the flaws that we've seen in his game, and not to mention the inactivity that he's been providing as well? Um, I believe Dumas has a good enough chin to deal with some of the striking that Zaytar will be throwing at him. I think Dumas's kicking game will allow him to stay at distance and touch up Zaytar from distance, uh, but then eventually dragging this fight to the ground, doing some good damage from on top, and potentially finding a finish in the latter half of this matchup. Again, minus 180, minus 190 on Dumas. I'd rather pass on this matchup as a whole. Maybe look at violence more than anything, but I could also see this fight being a, you know, a just a sloppy drug out war where it's just Dumas uh, doing damage from on top, but unable to get his ITAR out of there and winning by decision. I'm just going to stay off this fight as a whole, see what Azaitar has left in the tank, see what Dumas does against this type of opponent, and then try to bet or fade these guys moving forward. But official prediction is going to be Dumas and Dumas inside the distance. All right, next up, we got a great matchup here between 14-0 Javid Basharat as he goes up against the ever-veteran Victor Henry. Starting off on the Basharat side, he started off his year with a solid win over Matias Mendonca, where he was able to touch him up from distance and do some good work from that top position to win a decision. It's unfortunate that he's been out of the cage for as long as he has, considering the level of hype and potential a lot of people are putting on him. It would have been more, it would have been fun to see him a little bit more active in 2023. 
But here he is in the cage against a stiff competitor and Victor Henry, who's going to be looking to push him. But getting back to Bashrat, he is one of the best strikers that I've seen in a long time. His ability to utilize his footwork and pull his opponents into his punches has just been super elite and fun to watch. The guy is very good in terms of his um, pull, uh, sorry, his push, feint, or even pull counters that he's been able to do against his opponents. And that's where he does a lot of his damage against his opponents. Um, not a huge finisher in the UFC, but he's done a great job in terms of just putting out solid damage so it's no doubt who ends up winning this fight once the uh, once fights end up reaching the scorecards. Uh, his ground game, we don't see too much of it because he prefers to keep fights upright. He does a damn good job in terms of uh, t seeing the takedowns coming his way and keeping fights upright where he usually has an advantage over his opponents. His opponent this week and Victor Henry will likely look to take this fight to the ground, especially considering what type of striking game he brings to the table. I was very impressed with Henry in his UFC debut against Howney Barcelos, pushing the pace, staying in Barcelos's face, and just putting that volume and activity on him. However, we saw in the, his next fight against Rafael Asuncao that better technical strikers will likely make him pay for that reckless forward movement and volume that he throws. That's exactly what I'm expecting Bashrat to do here. I think we'll see him touch up Victor Henry anytime Victor tries to crash the pocket with volume, with output, and that will allow Bashrat to land the more significant blows, maybe even land some big uh, shots here, maybe land a knockdown even, and possibly even pull off a finish. But I believe Bashrat is one of those fighters that just stays within himself. He's a guy that's going to go out there and stick to the game plan and not overextend and try to risk losing out on that undefeated record that he currently has. So I'm going to take Bashrat by decision, but I believe that this is a great matchup for him to go out there, possibly face some adversity, but still end up coming out on top. I'm a big Victor Henry fan, but I believe that this is a horrible stylistic matchup for him, which should allow Bashrat to still get his hand raised, like I said, by decision. All right, let's move on to this next matchup between Mohamed Yaya and Trevor Peak. This is the UFC debut of Mohamed Yaya, who comes in as the UAE Warriors lightweight champion. He has a 12-3 record. He's currently on a five-fight winning streak as well. But I got to be honest that I have not been the most impressed from what I've been seeing from the guy. He seems to have a patient and lengthy striking game, but when things start to get a little bit into deeper waters, he looks to go out there and take his opponents to the ground and grind them out from that top position. However, striking defense leaves a lot to be desired. I've seen him hurt and dropped in numerous fights, and I feel like that's going to be bad news for him against much better strikers than him in the UFC. I don't really understand why the UFC decided to bring him on board. I think it might have to do with something with uh, him training out of Dubai and possibly paying back the Dubai investors who've been uh, really investing in the UFC over the last several years. But uh, seems to be a decent prospect, but doesn't seem like a guy that will make noise right off the bat. Uh, his grinding pressure from the top control is not bad. His wrestling, questionable, especially considering the level of competition he's been going up against. Trevor Peak fan favorite. But I'm more than happy to see him finally go out there and get exposed in his last matchup where... Everybody believe that he is this guy that he is not in terms of the, the, the skills that he has. He's a durable fighter. He has a lot of big power in his shots. And I'll give him this. His takedown def or sorry, his, his grappling defense is a lot better than I gave him credit for. His takedown defense could use a little bit of help still, but his ability to stay out of danger from submission attempts, his ability to battle through submission attempts, and then work back to his feet and get back to kick and ass better than I expected it to be. So I'll give him the credit there. Um, he is a fan favorite. He is a guy that's going to always go out there, give it his all, and make it an entertaining fight no matter who he's going up against. 
I just think the 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 shortage in skill and talent that he has will keep him from the top of this division. So if the UFC knows what's best, they're going to go out there and give him these favorable matchups in terms of uh, favorable entertaining matchups. And I, do, I think that this is a matchup that he can actually go out there and win. As I believe, like I said, Yaya is pretty hittable. And he's a guy that's going to leave his chin on the center line to allow Peak to just land and throw big shots and end up getting the win here. I'm feeling inside the distance more than anything here, but I feel like Peak is going to go out there and and find that chin probably within the first two rounds. You know, I've seen Yaya start to slow down when he faces adversity, when he starts to get hurt, and we know Trevor Peak's going to be hurting him quite a lot in this matchup. So give me um, give me Trevor Peak, Trevor Peak by knockout. Uh, but I just feel queasy about playing him at chalk, especially knowing the shortage of skills he has. Again, luckily for him this weekend, he's fighting a guy in some uh, in Mohamed Yaya who's just not that impressive to begin with anyway. So I can understand if you're looking to take that minus 140 on Trevor Peak, but I'm just going to take him inside the distance and get a little bit of plus money out of that. All right, next up, a, a very fun matchup here between Tim Elliott and Mohamed Mohayev. We'll start off on the Elliott side, who's riding a two-fight winning streak since 2022. I was very confident in him in his last matchup against Victor Altamirano, as I fully expected him to go out there and do what he did. Grapple him to the mat, use a lot of control time, and land enough damage that the referee or the judges saw that fight in his favor. He has the most awkward MMA game that we've ever seen. He strays far from the technical aspects of MMA, but still has managed to carve, him, uh, carve out a solid spot for himself on the UFC roster, uh, from his grappling to his striking. He doesn't fo- follow the fundamentals of those uh, disciplines, but he's still very effective with it. You know, from the weird angles that he tries to create with his striking to the weird grappling sequences and scrambles that he creates, usually he ends up coming out on top in those spots and then dominating from that top position or doing good work with his striking. But we see when he faces higher levels of competition, it's harder for him to pull that off. We saw that he is capable of pulling off upsets, especially like what he was able to do against Tagir Ulenbekov a couple fights back. But I feel like there is a cap, especially with him getting up there in age. Uh, he'll be turning 37 at the end of the year, and that's usually not the best sign, especially for fighters at this weight class. Anything below 155, 170, it's tough to be successful You know, at anything older than 35, especially when the talent level gets so high. His opponent this weekend, the 9-0 Mohamed Mokhaev, continues his run of dominance. Last time around, he went out there and defeated Jafel Filio, uh, finishing him in the latter half of that third round, getting his hand raised by finish. Um, but he didn't, you know, he didn't do it without facing a little bit of adversity. Uh, we saw Filio obviously sink in that very deep knee bar, and you could see Mokhaev in clear pain. And I believe he had to do some rehab in terms of injuring something in his knee due to that uh, submission. But we saw his resilience, his ability to battle back from adversity and still pull off the victory in the last 30 seconds of that matchup. He is a guy that has phenomenal scramble, uh, scrambling ability. Uh, he stays ahead of his opponents one step or two steps ahead in those scrambles, making sure that he always ends up in dominant position. And his ability to push that pace over 15 minutes is much better than I gave him credit for earlier when he first made his UFC debut against Charles Johnson. He just stays on his opponents, doesn't give them a moment to breathe, and he has a good enough cardio to do it for 15 minutes if required. His striking is still catching up. A lot of it is just a lot of flashy, non-substance type strikes, but it's all just to fill the gaps till eventually get in on the hips of his opponents, dragging them to the mat and then dominating them from that top position. As much as I like Tim Elliott, 
I just don't know if he's going to be worth the underdog's shot in this fight. He could pull it off. Don't get me wrong. I'm not investing in Mokhaev at minus 600 here. But if you get me down to closer to minus 400, uh, minus 350 even, maybe I'd be more inclined to throw him into a parlay as that will be a little bit more beneficial than throwing him in at minus 600. But I believe that Mokhaev will be a step ahead. I believe Mokhaev will land the more damaging shots, and I believe he'll end up getting his hand raised by decision. Um, not as confident as most people will likely be on Mokhaev as they seem to be every time he steps inside the cage. Temeli is a legitimate opponent and a legitimate adversary that will push Mokhaev into spots that he may not have been in the past, but I believe that he is skilled enough and talented enough to still come out on top. So give me Mokhaev and Mokhaev by decision. Next up, we got Saeed Nurmagomedov going up against Muin Gafarov. Last time around, Nurmagomedov came up short against Jonathan Martinez in a very closely contested fight. Nurmagomedov had some success of his own with some power shots and even some grappling success, but the reasoning that I laid out in that breakdown for the Martinez fight is why I was able to cash as Martin, or on Martinez as an underdog and could potentially cash here on Gafarov as another underdog. Nurmagomedov lacks output. Nurmagomedov lacks an assertiveness at times. It seems like he's a little bit lazy at times. Unless he's able to just catch a choke like he did against Saeed Yokob Kakramanov or like he did against um, uh, Cody Stamen or if he is unable to get finishes, his decision loss or wins are still very close. Like the, the decision win that he had against uh, um, uh, the, the first fight that he had, uh, Justin Scoggins, controversial, should have gone the other way. Uh, the Douglas Silva Deandrade fight. Two judges scored separate rounds for Douglas Silva Deandrade, saying that there could potentially have been a uh, a universe where two judges could have scored that fight in Silva Deandrade's uh, favor. Uh, it's just a low volume up, but he's just so reliant on getting a choke, getting a knockout getting a spectacular finish that he doesn't throw enough volume in return. He needs to get knockdowns. He needs to get significant control time, which is not something he usually looks to do. He just likes to throw a spinning back kick, uh, throw some power shots at times, and then try to go for the guillotine anytime his opponents look for takedowns. On the flip side for Gafarov, he got outpaced and uh, outcardioed by John Castaneda in his UFC debut earlier this year. But this is still a guy that can have success in the UFC. He had a solid second round where he was the one pressuring, utilizing his output and his forward movement to really put it on Castaneda. But Castaneda was just too much for him in the third round. Like I said, better gas tank and better pace. But Gafarov is a solid fighter. He's still only 27 years old. He utilizes great forward movement, good volume, and a good wrestling game as well, depending on the level of opponent that he's going up against. But I believe the specific thing in this matchup, which is why I'll end up leaning him to win by decision, is his volume is his forward movement. Nurmagomedov is not going to make him work a whole lot, which will allow Gafarov to kind of set the pace himself. He can decide how many strikes are going to be thrown. He can decide how many pocket exchanges there's going to be, and that should allow him to kind of manage his gas tank a little bit better, and that should allow him to get ahead on the scorecards and possibly even win this fight by decision. So it's hard for me to trust Nurmagomedov at that heavy chalk that he's normally at, and Gafarov seems like a guy that is uh, experienced enough tested enough that he can still go out there and uh, get his hand raised against a tough out in Nurmagomedov. So as long as Gafrov does not get caught in a choke and doesn't get knocked out, I think he could be a solid underdog spot here against Nurmagomedov. 
All right, next up, we got Ikram Aliaskarov going up against Warley Alves. Uh, I'm a big fan of Aliaskarov. You know, I was bummed that he didn't get the Paulo Costa fight at first. I was bummed that Nasser Dinimovov had to pull out. And now he has to settle for Warley Alves, who's been on a roller coaster run throughout his UFC career as well. Aliaskarov obviously got his shot on the in the UFC through the contender series. We had a, uh, a great uh, victory, I believe it was a submission finish that he got or a knockout. I can't recall. It was a dominant finish that he got. Um, but he was mainly known for being the guy that had his lone loss to Hamzat Shemaev. But he's making a pretty good name for himself in the UFC thus far as well. Um, I'm impressed from what we've been seeing. Uh, he had a great knockout over Phil Hawes earlier this year. Um, he is mainly known for his wrestling, but his hands are definitely getting better, as you saw in that Phil Hawes fight. And he wants to continue to go out there and try to knock these fools out and continue to move up the ranks. Especially if he was able to get that Paulo Costa fight, that would have put him right into the mix of the title shot, uh, especially with a big win over a guy like Paulo Costa. Um, his opponent this weekend, Wally Alves, is coming off of a loss from earlier this year where he lost to Nicholas Dalby by split decision. That's a two-fight losing streak for him now. He was coming off an ACL injury in 2022, uh, 2022, which kept him out of competition that entire time, and it seems like he's kind of just lost a step. He's a guy that relies a lot on explosivity, power, and just knocking his opponents out or hurting them badly with leg kicks so that he can get ahead on the judges' scorecards. But it doesn't seem it's panning out the way a lot of people expected it to when he originally made his UFC debut years and years ago. I expect he's going to be behind on Ali Skirov here, and I think that Ali Skirov can do a good enough job in terms of shutting down the kicking game by taking this fight to the ground, grinding out Alves, staying away from the submission attempts of Alves, and doing big damage from on top, and possibly even finding a knockout in the second or third round as Alves starts to slow down. That's the big question mark for Alves. Is his cardio as bad as it has always been? Because if so, Ali Skirov is going to take full advantage of that and probably find the finish like I said, in the second or third round. So give me Ali Skarov by TKO in round, let's call it round two. I might even take a sprinkle on round three. Next up, we got Magomed Ankalaev going up against Johnny Walker. Now, Ankalaev's last matchup was in December of last year where he fought for the vacant light heavyweight title and ended up fighting to a draw against Jan Blahovic. The main storyline in that matchup was the calf kicking that Blahovich was implementing on Ankalaev, which really rendered him immobile for the majority of that fight. But he was still able to land big enough shots, uh, and there, I, I believe there was a 10-8 round sprinkle in there at a certain point that ended up getting that fight to be called a draw. Um, close fight, closer fight than I would have expected, but I still feel that Ankalaev is one of the best guys at 205 pounds and is just waiting for a shot to get that title once again, and he could end up taking it home with him. He is one of the best Russian strikers that we've ever seen in terms of his patience, his discipline. And even though he might be a little bit too low volume at times for uh, people's liking, he makes sure that he makes most of his count, uh, strikes count and make them look emphatic enough that the judges still score fights his way, even if he doesn't end up landing more strikes than his opponent. Not just a striking, but he still has a high-level wrestling game that he can implement if he feels that the striking is getting a little too close, getting the fight to the ground and dominating his opponents there. I like what we see from Ankalaev, and I believe he is one of the more complete fighters that we have on the roster, and I believe he still deserves another shot at the title, and he should get that shot should he end up getting his hand raised here this weekend. 
His opponent, Johnny Walker, looks to be in the best form that we've seen him in. He's on a three-fight winning streak, which is the longest winning streak he's had since joining the UFC, tying, actually, the initial run that he had when he made his UFC debut back in 2018. But he had a roller coaster run uh, between 2019 and 2022, where he went one and four. But it seems like he's really starting to settle into his confidence and the striking game that he likes to employ. Uh, employ. He uses his... Uh, explosiveness his speed and his power to touch up his opponents from distance exploding into shots landing big strikes either choking them out like he did against Iwan Laba, or hurting them badly over 15 minutes like he did last time against Anthony Smith he's a tough fighter to deal with just because of much how much of an energy ball he is he's so explosive but i feel like an, uh, a more complete fighter like Magomed Ankalaev could utilize that power and explosiveness against him i fully like it's so it's it's monday of fight week and i don't normally watch uh breakdowns or watch other people break down fights as much anymore uh but i can just already envision people being like look at the tiago santos fight look at what tiago was able to do when he was able to push the pace and he landed a couple of times on uncle live but uncle live still pretty much swept that fight like i, I expect uncle live to utilize the striking mix in some takedowns and just wear on the cardio of walker slowing him down so that he can make the strikes come a little bit easier in the second and third rounds not saying that walker is a complete gas bag at this point in time but when he's unable to set the pace of his fights that's where he starts to slow down and that's where he starts giving up bad positions and even gets touched up and i fully expect uncle live to just go out there and do what he does best get the better strikes off when he needs to get the better takedowns uh, off when he needs to and i just expect him to put a better body work together here and i expect him to win a decision and hopefully stamping another shot at the title after yuri prohaska and alex pohatan pajera throw down in a couple months so give me uncle live uncle live by decision all right, co-main event time. Big boys coming up here where we got Kamaru Usman stepping in on short notice, going up against Hamzat Chemaev. This was a fight that's been rumored for a, a while now, and it seemed like the UFC didn't really like the fact that Usman wanted to move up to middleweight. But on 10 days notice, here he is being forced to move up and taking this fight on short notice, but it seems like he's been active enough that he was ready to take this fight when the opportunity approached him. He is a former welterweight champion, and I got to say, I'm still surprised that he ended up coming up short against Leon Edwards in back-to-back fights. It was great takedown defense from Leon Edwards that allowed him to keep the fight upright, where he was able to utilize his superior striking approach to damage Kamaru Usman more over five rounds and get his hand raised by decision um, the third time. Obviously, the second time was a, you know, Hail Mary knockout shot that he landed in the final round to get his hand raised. But Usman, still one of the best fighters in the, in the, in the game. High-level cardio, great wrestling, improving striking, uh, and even though he might be at a bit of a size disadvantage in this matchup, technically speaking, skill set-wise, he can make this the toughest fight that uh, Hamza Chimaev has had over um, the, the length of his UFC career. Chimaev obviously coming off that Kevin Holland victory that he had, but it's been very discouraging the fact that he has not been more active than when he originally came into the UFC back in 2020. We're talking about having two fights in the span of two uh, in 10 days and then getting his third win two months later. But since then, just hasn't been that active. Obviously, he had the Gilbert Burns win. Uh, he had the Kevin Holland win. But we had so much high hopes for this guy that he probably should have been contending for a title by now. But he just hasn't been active for some reason. Uh, there was that possible uh, retirement that he had in the middle of that uh, due to COVID, I believe. Um, and we still have yet to see how that will impact him when he faces high-level competition. Will that impact his cardio? 
You know, we saw him have a close third round against Gilbert Burns in their back and forth knock him out, drag him out war. But Kamaru Usman is going to provide way more resistance than what Gilbert Burns did. So I'm hoping that the short notice nature here for Kamaru Usman doesn't impact him too much. He's a guy that's always been, uh, you know, in very good shape. He's a guy that has prided himself on cardio, his work pace, and ability to just demand and set the pace in all of his fights. And if he can do that here against Chimaev, stop the takedowns of Chimaev, stay in the striking realm and push the pace and use that output, use that forward pressure and stay in Chimaev's face, he can make this fight look very good in his favor. So... I know the majority of love is on Shamayev this week, but I'm going to be the contrarian here. I'm going to be the guy that says that Kamaru Usman can get back to his winning ways, even on short notice, against the guy in Shamayev. Uh, Usman, like I said, the best fighter that Shamayev has fought, bar none. And we're getting plus 200 on him. Short notice or not, Usman is going in there trying to continue to build upon his legacy. Probably the most pissed off he's ever been, especially on the two-fight losing streak that he's currently on. And maybe he has the chops to go out there and give Chimaev his first loss. It's possible. I'm going to go Usman, and I'm going to go Usman by decision. Possible third-round sprinkle there as well. Even if Usman is the one coming in on short notice, I have some question marks in terms of Chimaev's ability to deal with a guy that puts the pace and pressure that Kamar Usman normally puts on. So give me Usman and Usman by decision. All right, that brings us to our main event of the evening where we got Islam Mahachev defending his lightweight title for the second time against Alexander Volkanovsky, who is currently the featherweight champion. Now, Volkanovsky has apparently wanted to fight by the end of the year, but the UFC said he didn't really fit into the schedule. Hence, they were planning to put him into that January main event slot against Ilya Taporia and his plans apparently is still to make that date but we'll see how the fight goes this weekend first now the majority of this breakdown will have to do with how the first fight went and then we'll talk about the x factors in terms of uh, the short notice the the surgery the recovery for Volkanovsky in between that time the fact that Vol- Volkanovsky has already fought once uh, since that last matchup against Makachev we'll talk about that as well but let's hone in on their first matchup back at UFC 284 in February in the backyard of Alexander Volkanovsky Obviously, I believe that um, I believe that Islam did enough to win the first two rounds. The second round closer than the first, but I still believe Makachev did enough to win that that round. Third round, clear Volkanovski round, lands some big shots, stuffs the takedowns. He was doing the one. He was the one doing way more work in that round. The fourth round. This is the one that pisses me off the most because it could have been the one that ended up allowing Volkanovski to win this fight. Uh, Makachev clearly slowing down, clearly not as effective as he was early in this matchup, goes for a takedown, gets in on the hips of Volkanovski. They're in this weird transition period where it's either Volkanovski can continue to work, dig the underhooks and get back to his feet, or option B, which he ended up choosing, was to play to the crowd, play to the coaches and say, I am, I'm up. And in doing so, gives Makachev the opportunity to get ahead of him in that scramble and then secure that back position where he was able to ride it out for the last four minutes of that round. Now, I will even say this. There is a very small argument you can make that Volkanovski deserved to win that fourth round due to the fact that he outstruck him 69, sorry, 49 to 19 in that round. 
It was Makachev holding on for dear life as Volkanovsky was defending the chokes. And there wasn't even any chokes that were close to getting in on Volkanovsky there. Because Volkanovsky did a great job in terms of um, defending one of the arms, keeping one of those arms trapped. So there was no choke even in play. And then punching with the other arm. If we're talking about on strictly damage, I get it. Makachev was in a dominant position, but he was nowhere near close to getting a finish. He wasn't posturing up. He wasn't trying to, you know, get Volkanovski belly down. He wasn't threatening with any chokes. Volkanovski was landing big shots the entire time. And he, just based off of damage alone, you could give that fight, uh, that round to Volkanovski. But I digress. I understand why you can give, why all three judges gave that round to Makachev. But if Volkanovski didn't make that one little mistake... He could have made it look like the fifth round, which is where he stopped the takedowns, started landing big shots, started uh, starting um, directing the pace of that fight, started setting the pace of that fight, staying in Makachev's face, seeing that he's sucking wind and landing more damage and pulling away with the fight. The final minute, you know, rather than just throwing down big shots from that top position, I would have loved to seen him get back to his feet and try to get another knockdown that could potentially lead to a finish just as he got the knockdown with whatever, it was uh, 90 seconds left in the round, if I'm not mistaken. So, much closer fight than the plus 295 pre-fight odds indicated on Volkanovski, and nobody believed me that it would, well, most people did not believe me that it would be as close of a fight as it was, and Volkanovski showed up that time. Now, I get it, he's coming in on short notice this time around. Um, He had surgery, I believe, back in July or August, um, to, I believe it was just to clear up the bone spurs in his elbow. Uh, he had the dominant victory over Yair Rodriguez in July. Uh, big win for him there, staying active, being one of the most active champions on the roster. According to him, he got back to sparring and training in September, early September, the week of Adesanya versus Strickland. So he's been roughly training for a, a month and a half. Not like training camp training, but training to stay in shape, that he can make the weight, that he can go out there and still give the best of his abilities. And I believe going being in there with Makachev already once, knowing the things that he can change to potentially come out on top this time, still makes him a live underdog around that plus 220 mark that he's currently at. I get it, Makachev's bigger, Makachev has the wrestling, but we know for a fact that Makachev's not going to finish him. We know that Makachev's going to go out there and try to grapple him and grind him out just as he did last time around. But it's going to get harder in the third round. It's going to get harder in the fourth round. It's going to get harder in the fifth round. Volkanovski is one of those freak athletes that just strikes me as a guy that can go out there and give us a solid 25-minute performance, even on short notice. So I'm expecting Volkanovski to just give us his best, just as he has in the past, which makes him a live underdog in this spot. I get it. People might say, hey, you're just dick right of Volkanovski in this spot because you picked him last time around and you want to be right this time. I'm trying to just take the odds for what they are. You're talking about minus 300-ish, uh, minus 265, whatever the number is on Makachev. I still believe the line is too wide, even on short notice. Volkanovski can still win this fight. Close fight. I'm going to take Volkanovski. I'm going to take him once again and hope that he can pull this one out, win it by decision, down the stretch. Hopefully he doesn't gas out. Hopefully he is as ready as I believe he is. Otherwise, I don't think he would have taken this opportunity um, to, you know, whereas he could have demanded another shot down the line with a full training camp. He believes he's ready enough at this moment in time to take the shot. I believe that he's ready enough to go out there and actually get the win. So I'm going to take Volkanovski by decision. Um, the over is not bad either. We know this fight will likely go the distance. There you go. And new lightweight champion, double champ, Alexander Volkanovsky. 
fire me in the uh, the comment section below. Uh, grill me as much as you want. That's where I'm going to be going. And hopefully I'm able to say, ha ha, I'm right. Come Saturday afternoon. If not, I took a shot on a plus 220 underdog on the guy that is currently considered the pound for pound best fighter on the roster. We'll see what happens. There you guys go. Breakdowns on all the fights for UFC 294. Reminder that it is an early card since it's taking place in Abu Dhabi. It's going down, I believe, 10 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. First prelim fight, 2 p.m. Eastern. Main card start time. Make sure you guys check it out. I'm going to be lit that day watching those fights. The next day is my birthday, uh, so I'm just going to be enjoying it as much as possible. Uh, appreciate all the love. Appreciate all the support. We're back to regularly scheduled programming. Tuesday, top three lock of the night candidates. Wednesday, top three dog of the night candidates. Thursday, quick picks video, as well as the Lockheed two-step. Uh, and then Friday, three best prop bets. And then Saturday, fights, baby. All right, reminder, no fights next weekend for the UFC, but there are regional fights, uh, LFA and Cage Warriors. If you're looking for those breakdowns, check the link in the description below for the Lock of the Night Patreon page. I'll be dropping written breakdowns for every single one of those fights to just carry you guys through to the November 4th event at UFC Sao Paulo. All right, love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Drop that like and subscribe, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace. Last thing. But